God, as we go into opening your word and what you have for us today, I pray that you would remind our hearts of just that, that your presence dwells with us. God, I pray that we have an openness to allowing your Holy Spirit to come in and to be with us today. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying and doing. I pray that as I share from your word this morning that I would speak what you want me to speak and throw out anything that you don't want me to share. Thank you that even though we may be disjointed in different places and gather in different ways, that you are still present and you are still God on the throne. In your name, amen. Good morning, church. Good afternoon, good evening, whenever you are listening to this message. For those of you who are live with us, good morning, welcome to church. This morning we are going to continue to go into our sermon series in 1 Timothy. We're jumping into 1 Timothy starting in verse 12. If you are uh, getting your Bibles ready, wherever, if it's on your iPad or your phone or your actual Bible ready, I'll be reading out of the NIV. I just want to share some thoughts. I am doing a current course for my degree right now and it's called Church History. And as I'm reading through church history, something very interesting is coming to light. And that is that we tend to demonize or idolize people. We like to put human beings into a category of being good or bad. Being a man or woman of God or one that is not of God. One that is worth listening to or one that is not. Demonize and idolize. James has a saying, I'm sure, I think it came from someone else. I just don't know who it came from. So you'll have to look it up where the actual quote came from. Um, but he says, those that you idolize, you will surely demonize. The reality is, is that none of us are God, right? But we'd like to put people in these categories. What you learn when you look throughout church history, even to modern day, is that everyone is a mix of both. Everyone is human beings that are working out the mess that is the human life, the human condition. We go all the way through the Old Testament and we see these, these humans that God used that were messes. They were womanizers and murderers and, uh, and you know, adulterers and they were just... They were messy people and God chose to use them. When you start studying church history, you learn the exact same, that that continued after. From the early church, the Catholic church, which was the unified church, that's what it meant at the day, the church, who were trying to convert people through the crusades, but it got so messed up with greed and, and thinking that you can force someone into religion you go all the way through our own church fathers, you know, of the Protestant movement, Martin Luther, and you read about his life and you realize, wow, this, this guy had some problems. To Calvin, who was the, you know, the father of Calvinistic uh, belief system, and you realize, wow, this guy was a murderer. 
He literally thought that he should kill everyone that didn't believe, with, didn't believe what he believed. He thought that's how you cleanse the church, you know. And you move all the way through and you see these men primarily and some women that felt a conviction from the Lord. But their outpour or their uh, way that they lived out that conviction was filled with mess. Filled with a whole bunch of mistakes. We fast forward all the way to today and many of you could probably think of recent um, things that have come to light in the news in the last year or two years over these men or women that were, you know, fathers and mothers of the faith. They spoke and they taught good doctrine and we look to them for our apologetics. We look to them for our theology and then these things come out about their lives and our faith is rocked because we're like, well, if they didn't have it right, maybe none of it is right. We like to put people into these categories of are they good or are they bad instead of understanding what we're going to learn this morning is that God uses the imperfect people for his perfect plan. That we're all this mix of everything. What we do really well is we do really well at celebrating people's testimonies. We love to listen to them, we love to watch them. Those of you who haven't caught, uh, uh, Pastor Ben has started a series called um, Fit Faith. I think I got that right, pretty sure. Um, Fit Faith, where he just wants to video people and their testimonies and put it up so you as a church and, and church family can hear people's testimonies and what God has done in their lives. Michaela, uh, one of our church members here, hers went up a few weeks ago and there'll be more to come. We love to celebrate people's testimonies. We love to look and say, this is where God's brought you from and look at you now. What we struggle with is walking out the middle of someone's testimony with them. Walking out the middle where it's still really, really messy. They haven't got there yet where they're looking back and celebrating what God has done. They're in the middle of what God is doing. We struggle with that because we're like, well, do they, are they really a person of faith if this is what their life looks like? We struggle with the pain and the hurts and all the things that might come along with being in the middle of someone's testimony, the damage that happens along the way. This morning, I give you that picture so that when we go into this passage, we would understand what Paul is trying to tell Timothy here. We would have a grasp of our own lives and how often we have done this, how often we've allowed pride to rise up and we forget that we are just a mess like the rest of them. That we look and we kind of have this outlook of like, well, I don't have that problem, which means I get to judge that problem in someone else. We pick up our story, or pick up our passage here, and Paul has just, as we learned from Pastor Kristen last week, Paul has just talked to Timothy. Timothy is this young pastor. He is a young pastor that has been mentored by Paul. He had spent years with Paul, serving with him, going on missions trips with him, going around to all the churches with him, and he had basically gone through his apprenticeship with Paul. And now he's been given this church to pastor. He's a pastor of a church in Ephesus, very close to what we live in. It's kind of a mix of cultures, a mix of spiritualities. There is all of this uh, intertwining that into the church. And Paul, oh, the other thing you need to know about Timothy is Timothy is a young, he's not very old. 
So Timothy has just been told what Pastor Kristen talked about last week was to confront those that were teaching false doctrine in the church. They were teaching add-ons to the gospel. What do I mean by that? They were teaching that those that were Gentiles and converting to Christianity, that they had to uh, be circumcised and had to follow food laws and had to fill in the blank. They were saying, you can only get the grace that God has for you if you do A, B, C, D, fill in the blank. They were coming in and thought they had it right and were teaching all of this. And Paul has just said to Timothy, you need to go and you need to go confront this. You need to deal with this. This is not healthy for the church. Get rid of false teaching. Get rid of false doctrine. So Timothy is called to go and do that, to call this out in people. I love that right after that, Paul goes into our passage this morning. I just want to set that stage. So Timothy has been asked to go and confront sin in other church leaders' lives. And then Paul jumps into this passage. <clears throat> Chapter 1, starting in verse 12 of 1 Timothy. It says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly among the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are uh, some name I can't read and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. See, Paul looks and he says, Timothy, I'm asking you to do all of this. I'm asking you to confront all of these things. All the things I said at the very beginning of the sermon that we tend to do, call out all the bad and not understand what God is doing. To put these people into categories. But then Paul says, yes, I'm asking you to do that. But let's do it in light of the gospel. Let's remember the gospel as you have to go and you have to bring judgment and you have to bring conviction. Let's remember the gospel. Why? Because the gospel shifts our heart from pride to humility. All of a sudden, our direction when we go to bring conviction, to bring judgment, to bring this accountability, which scripture actually calls us to do as one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to come and we are to bring correction to each other. But we are to do it in light of the gospel and not our own pride. See, Paul goes in and he says, let me remind you of what God has done in my life. Let me remind you of what the gospel has done for me and what it has done for you so that you don't think you're better than them. So you don't think that maybe you have it all together 
and they don't. What does the gospel do? Paul says the gospel is based only on God's mercy and grace. Verse 13, 14 says this. Even though I was once a blasphemy, blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, those of you who know Paul's story, if you don't, you'll have to look it up later. But he was. He, he went out and he killed Christians. That's where he came from. And he did it with a conviction that he thought he was, he was being righteous. He thought that he was being the one to defend God. He says, even though I was all of these things, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, remember the gospel? The gospel that gave you mercy and grace? What do those words mean? Mercy. Mercy is this idea that you don't get the punishment you deserve. It's like you did a crime and you don't have to do the jail time. That is mercy. He says, Christ came and he stopped you from getting the punishment you deserve, the eternal punishment. That's what the gospel does. But not only does it stop you from getting the punishment, it gives you grace. What is grace? Grace is giving you something that you didn't deserve. Grace is saying, not only am I going to not give you the punishment, but I'm actually going to give you a reward. Not only are you not going to have to do the time, but I'm actually going to give you more in abundance. You're not going to spend the rest of your life trying to make up for what you did wrong. Trying to earn my love and acceptance. I'm going to give it to you free of charge. Paul is reminding Timothy that is what the gospel is. It is given with mercy and grace. Paul also says in verse 15, the gospel is for sinners. Verse 15, it says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul recognizes, he says, I'm telling you to do this, but don't get me wrong, I'm aware that I was just as bad. I'm aware that I was them one, uh, before. I was them. I was the one that was speaking false doctrine. I was the one that was speaking untruths. That was me. But he celebrates that that is what the gospel was for. That is what Christ was for. Here's what happens. When we can't accept our own sin, we're not honest and open about our own sin. We actually put a barrier between ourselves and the gospel. Because if we stand in that position, what Christ is saying, he's saying, well, then you don't need me. If you aren't a sinner... If you don't have mess that you're dealing with, then I guess you don't need me. You don't need the gospel. You don't need what I did on that cross for you. Paul is reminding Timothy, he's saying, you are a sinner just like them. I am a sinner just like them. So do it because we want more people to understand the gospel, but not because we want to bring ruin to those that are false doctrines, false teachers. The gospel is for sinners. When's the last time you sat before the Lord and you were honest and open about your own sin? When's the last time you actually sat before people that were in your close circle, those that you're close with, those that, that you are doing life with, an intimate life with, that we are supposed to do as the church? When's the last time you sat with them and you said, here's where I'm going wrong, and I need prayer, I need help? 
Paul is bringing this to light. He's saying, you are putting a barrier between God and yourself by pretending that the sin isn't there. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. You're a sinner, Timothy. And so are they. So let's deal with it all together. What happens when all of this happens? When we learn that the gospel is given by mercy and grace, not something that we can earn or that we deserve, that the gospel is for all of us that are sinners and now we are free enough to say that I'm a mess too. Then we receive what all of us are so trying to achieve. The amount of times that I have heard uh, people say, I just want to know my purpose. I want to know God's plan for my life. I want to know his direction. What Paul actually says here, in verse 12, he starts off by saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful and appointing me to his service. See, when we can fully accept what the gospel is doing in our lives, fully accept what God has given us, all of a sudden, God's purpose and plan comes to light. That is to be his servant. See, God has things for you to do, and he speaks to you, and he's going to give you direction, absolutely. I had a great conversation with, with someone this week about this topic, about, yes, God will speak clearly. When there is a decision that needs to be made, and it is a clear decision, and there is one right answer, God will tell you. He will tell you. If you ask him, he will tell you. But then there's so many other choices. And God says, you know what? The boundaries are really, really wide. And as long as you are my servant in the midst of it, do what you want. As long as you're doing everything to glorify me, do what you want. I don't care if you take this job or that job or you move there or you move there. I don't care whether or not you choose to do this today or that today. It's okay. Serve me. Glorify me. That's all I'm asking. God's perfect plan comes to light when, we will, when we're willing to humble ourselves before him and say, here's what you've done in my life. So all, of I am, all, all that I am now becomes your servant. All that I am says I just want what you want for my life. See, from that heart posture comes an ability to partner with what God is doing. It actually comes, an ability, comes the ability to be able to call out things in other people's lives because now it's not about you. It's about God's perfect plan for them. It's about them understanding who God is in their lives and them being closer to who God is. It's about maybe what they're doing limiting other people from receiving the gospel. It's not about you being right or wrong. Paul is reminding Timothy, you are my servant. You are, you are God's servant. And through that is going to be having to make hard choices. We're going to read through the rest of 1 Timothy in the next few weeks to come. And you'll learn that Paul is asking Timothy to do some hard things. And he's fighting against a lot of these different pieces of how old he is and, and about whether or not he's qualified and and about all the mess that is in the church in Ephesus. And, and he's fighting against a lot of this. But Paul's reminding him that it's okay. It's not on your shoulders. Just partner. Just be a servant of the living God. And know that he goes before you. 
What happens when we choose to recall the gospel in our own lives? There's a few things that shift when we choose to accept the gospel. We humble ourselves and say, God, I realize that I am just a sinner that has been given mercy and grace. Not because I deserved it, not because of my gifting or my callings or all the things that I can do, but only because of what you have done. We know all of this, right? Like I'm not saying anything that we have not heard before, but when is the last time that you sat with it? When's the last time that you said, okay, God, show me, remind me again of my own testimony so that I can have grace on those around us. It actually burdens my heart when I hear Christians critiquing other churches, other leaders, Because who do we think we are to judge what God is telling someone else to do? It burdens my heart because what it does is the other thing you learn when you look through church history is that the church is known for division, not unity. The church is known for the amount of times we have split and divided and divided and divided because we can't get along, because we can't see eye to eye on things. Some of it is justified, don't get me wrong. People who depart from the core truths that Pastor Kristen was talking about last week, the core belief system. I talked about Martin Luther earlier. Martin Luther had a buddy and the two of them were actually the, the, that, the two that had this burden that they looked at the church of the day and they looked at some of the, um, the, the organization and they realized that it was greedy, that it was corrupt, that it was taking from people and they weren't taking care of the poor like they were supposed to. That there was things in it that they had departed away that the average man wasn't allowed to read the Bible, wasn't allowed to hear from God on their own. And they said, wait a second, that's not what Christ came to do. And so they, they, they had this conviction Right conviction, absolutely right conviction. And I think it came from a place of purity. And they started to speak that. Martin Luther wrote a thesis called the, I think it was the 95th thesis or something. In there, he wrote all of this out and it rose up in people, those that were trying to pursue God and said, wait, yeah, there's something wrong here. There was division, but it was, it was needed. They were really missing the mark. They were really missing the mark. But now he had this buddy and him and his buddy who started this movement split off into two different sectors. You want to know why? Because they couldn't agree on this. They couldn't agree on communion. One of them, Martin Luther, believed that communion, in communion, Jesus Christ's presence would come. His actual being would be in the midst of when you take communion. His buddy believed that communion and the importance of communion was a remembrance. They couldn't agree, so they started two different churches. I could continue on and go all the way through church history where these secondary issues split the church off into little tiny sectors and we became more and more and more disunified. Why? Because our pride said that we must be right and they must be wrong. Again, don't get me wrong, there are core issues, there are primary issues, Pastor Kristen talked about them last week, that we cannot compromise on. But there are many that it does not matter, including myself being up here preaching. I'm okay that there are churches out there that aren't okay with that. 
I'm okay with that. As long as they still believe that Jesus Christ came and died to give us mercy and grace. As long as they believe in the truth of the gospel. What happens when we recall the gospel in our own lives? It allows us to remember that the church was meant to be unified. It reminds us that our secondary issues don't matter that much. It makes us thankful for what God has given us. Verse 12 actually says it, right? I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has given me strength. They you know, this is understanding that everything I have, all of the good, all of the comfort and the peace, all of the things that I experience are because of your grace and your mercy and it makes us thankful. The second thing it does is it makes us humble. I said it before, and I'll probably say it a few more times in the sermon, pride is the barrier between us and grace. Pride is what tells us that we are too good to need grace. Pride says that we can do it on our own. Pride says, I know better than fill in the blank. Humility. Verse 13 to 15, I'll just read it again. What does it say? It says, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The recognition that we are humble before the Lord, the importance of that humility, why is it important to have that humility? In 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 9 down to 12, I'm going to read something and I'm going to tell you why we need to have humility. Verse 9 it says this, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I responded or I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There is this idea that God is the only one that sees the full picture. Sees in the mirror clearly. God is the only one that sees all of the parts together. He clearly tells us, I'm only letting you see a part. I'm only letting you see one piece of the puzzle. I'm not giving you the whole picture because if I give you the whole picture, then all of a sudden that means that you will feel like you are God and I am not. You'll start relying on yourself instead of relying on me. Scripture tells us, you only see in part. Even when you prophesy, even when God shows you a clear picture, what you think is like, this is what God is saying, you don't actually know the whole truth behind it. You're not seeing all of it. He says that. He says, have humility in that. Don't, uh, don't crawl under a rock and say, well, I must know nothing. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, oh, do it in humility. Understand that what you see is only in part. It's not the whole. It talks about also that we do have a hope to hold on to, that Christ will come again and we will see perfection. We will see the whole picture. There's something really interesting in this passage that says that we only see in a mirror 
a poor reflection in a mirror. Humility actually removes some of the fog that is on the mirror. Pride puts more and more fog on the mirror. It's like, you know, when you get out of the shower and you try and look in your mirror and all of the steam, maybe not for you, but I like really hot showers. And so my mirror is usually really, really steamy when I get out of the shower. And so you look in the mirror and it's all steamy, right? Pride is that condensation. The more that we choose to look at ourselves accurately and understand what we have been given, the more that we choose to humble ourselves and understand how much we don't know instead of looking at how much we know. The more that we can do that, the more that that condensation disappears and the clearer and clearer, the clearer, and clearer does the picture become. The more that we can see that God's heart is for unity between his people the more that we can see that God's heart is for every person to be restored, even the one that was teaching false prophecy, even the one that was teaching false doctrine, even those, those leaders that we look at and we say, how could they have such moral failures? God's plan for them is still restoration. Humility is the key to seeing the bigger picture. When we recall the gospel in our own lives, when we choose to remove pride, when we remove the barrier between us and grace, God all of a sudden can use us. We become useful. Verse 16 says this, but for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. See, as we do that, God says, now I can use you. When you recognize how unworthy you really are, now I can show you your worth. Now I can use your life to show others, look what I can do. A living God that is loving. A living God that desires relationship. And last of all, it brings about worship. Verse 17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He is proclaiming his goodness. When we remember the gospel, when we remember the gospel and we choose to remove our pride and humble ourselves before him, now we can freely worship. I wonder how many that have a difficult time with praise and worship actually have some barriers there of pride. Whether or not it's pride of I don't want to look dumb or I don't want to look like, you know, someone else or I'm not quite sure I understand what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do in worship. I'm not really sure if I like all the words to this song. Let me micromanage every piece of everything. I wonder how much of those that don't have freedom in worship is because they haven't humbled themselves enough to be like, I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. We might not have all the words right and that's okay because we only see in part. We're only doing it in a place of imperfection and God knows that and he says, it's okay. I'm okay, just come before me in worship, in thankfulness, in humility. See, Paul was calling Timothy to call out the bad in what was happening in the church, but he wanted him to remember, but don't forget that you're not any better. 
don't forget that in the midst of understanding that, God's mercy and grace flourishes. That is when you receive everything God intended for you. Today, church, as I close in prayer and we worship, I pray that you would take a moment to say, God, where have I allowed pride to block your grace in my life? Where have I forgotten to be honest about my own mess? Where have I been too judgmental? Because I think I know better. God's grace is abundance and there is freedom in his, in his grace. So let's remove any barrier that would stop us from receiving it. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that you want a church that is humble before you, that's desire is to deal with that which is not of you, to deal with the false teaching, to deal with the false prophecy, to deal with the things that we are doing wrong, but to do it from a place of humility and grace. To hold that balance of grace and truth in perfect unity. God, I pray that you would unify our hearts in understanding more and more parts of the puzzle. God, I thank you that you love us enough to not put the whole puzzle on our shoulders. I thank you that you carry that burden, the burden of being perfect, and that we get to be imperfect people that are striving after your perfect plan. God, I pray that you would bring healing in those this morning that may have been damaged because people dealt with sin in an inappropriate manner, that they dealt with it from a place of pride. God, I pray that you would bring freedom this morning to your church, that we would understand your gospel. In your name, amen.